Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Listen, God, He helps those who trust in Him. He wants us to trust. He wants us to believe that He is a present help in time of trouble. He wants us to look to Him. And so just that word there was to me a good word. The Lord is good and a refuge in times of trouble. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on the book of Micah. Now here's Pastor Brian. Assyria had dominated Babylon. That's why the king of Assyria took Manasseh to Babylon, because they ruled over the whole region at the time. But then as as Nebuchadnezzar came to power, he ended up conquering Nineveh in 612, and that basically ended the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is another reminder that God will judge evil and repay with wrath those nations that reject him. And we've said this before, but I think, again, at this time, it's just a good reminder. You know, nobody is getting away with anything. Nobody. Regardless of how invincible they might seem at the moment or how powerful or how arrogant or how unable they are to be stopped by any reason or by any mandates or any treaties or any uh, force. And they just go on and on in their rampages. And, and you think that, wow, they're just, they're getting away with it. No, nobody's getting away with anything. I just was listening to a podcast on Mao Zedong and the millions and millions of people that that man was responsible for their deaths through initially the communist revolution in 1949. And then there's this famine that follows it because of their policies. And 30 to 40 million people die of starvation in China as as a result of their policies. And then Mao leads this or inspires this cultural revolution in the 1960s, goes on for about 10 years, just murder, mayhem. You know, he was the one whose philosophy was was all about power and power was in the barrel of a gun. And, you know, you look at the, you know, whether it's a Hitler or a Mao or whoever, there's so many in history and you can put Putin in that category now as well. But, you know, these people who have absolutely no concern for life they, they would just, just put a gun to your head, pull the trigger, and then sip their coffee and never think twice about it. You know, they just took a human life. But there's a day of reckoning coming. See, they, they, they might get away with it for a while. But, you know, think about all those guys. They're all dead. And I can guarantee you 
that it's not good for them now. And I can also guarantee, I was thinking about this the other day, and I just had this thought like, Lord, I'm sure that the punishment will fit the crime. You will deal with, with these people, these kinds of people, you will deal with them accordingly. And everybody will look on and say, that is just. That is right. So, you know, sometimes we need to, to comfort ourselves with this reality. Paul put it this way, some people's sins precede them to judgment, the sins of others follow afterward. So some people, it's just obvious, like, oh man, they're judging me so great. But sometimes we don't see. It's hidden. It's not so well known what they're doing, but what they're doing is still evil. But God knows and God sees. And, you know, this, of course, is, is one of the, the big reasons why people want to try to dismiss the idea of a God. Because if there's a God, there's accountability. You know, Marx was famous for saying that uh, religion was the opiate of the people. You know, meaning just, you know, religion just gets people to a place where they just, they're not thinking and so they can be controlled. And, and that, you know, that's what they saw the, the religious institutions doing. It's, you know, the opium's creating a... a a delusional kind of a view of things and a non-reality and all of that. Marx, religion's the opiate of the people. John Lennox says that atheism is the opiate of the people because atheism says there's no God, there's no judgment, I can do what I want, I'm never going to be held accountable, nobody's ever going to make me have to pay for what I've done. I'm getting away with it all. That's delusional, as Lennox says. So I like the way he turned that around. So in Nahum, so just as we look at these chapters here, and we will do that really briefly. uh, In Nahum, God is seen as a powerful but caring warrior protective of his people and angry with the wicked. He is good to those who look to him for refuge. And it's funny because this, I mean, this whole thing is basically just judgment. But then there's a couple of little sentences that are reflecting on the goodness of God right here in Nahum. So in the three chapters, basically you've got this. Chapter one, you've got Nineveh's destruction being God's plan and something that is certain. So again, think about Jonah for a moment. A hundred years earlier, God says 40 days and, and then comes destruction. But that is reversed. God doesn't destroy the people. But now at this place in history, the judgment is certain. There's no way that it will not fall upon Nineveh at this point. There, there is no turning back. There's no third chance, fourth chance. There, this is the time when the judgment will be meted out. 
And so look in chapter one, it really expresses that the best in verse 14. It says, the Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your God. I will prepare your grave for you are vile. So this is it. There's no hope now at this point. The second chapter is talking about the judgment in general, but more specifically, it's talking about the the judgment being thorough, being complete. This, This is going to be a judgment from which Nineveh will never recover. And that is history. They never recovered. They never again became anything like they previously had been. And look at verses 8 through 10 here in the second chapter. Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. I don't know if you've noticed this when you read through the prophets. The prophets have this amazing way of illustrating by observing things around them that everybody would understand and know. Just, you know, common kinds of things. I think of like the passage in Isaiah, it says that um, the people, they they pull iniquity as with a cart rope. And you could just picture, you know, this group of people with a wagon load of iniquity and they're just pulling it along. And there's all these different kinds of pictures that the prophets use. And they're good preachers. They're, they're communicating with people in ways that they would totally get. And of course, Jesus did this, especially when he was, using parables. He was just telling stories that everybody would be familiar with. And then he was making spiritual application to those stories. But this here, I I mean, can you picture this? Nineveh is like a pool whose water is draining away. You got a pool with a drain and no plug. It's going to be empty really quick, right? That's Nineveh. That's what's happening. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless. The wealth from all its treasure. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble. Every face grows pale. Wow. So this is... The, the kind of judgment that's going to come. It's going to be a thorough judgment. And verse 13, the Lord says this, I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. Not a place anyone would ever want to be, a place where God is against them. And then the third chapter, and really in the final verses, it shows us that Nineveh's judgment is retributive. So God is, he is 
paying them back for the evil that they have committed. Look at verses 18 and 19. Your people are scattered on the mountains with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap their hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? So all of this is coming upon them as retribution for their endless cruelty. Now, we, I think we've touched on this before because, of course, we've talked about the Assyrian Empire. But the Assyrian Empire today, anybody who studies Middle Eastern studies, this is the first thing they'll tell you about the Assyrian Empire. The cruelest, the cruelest people that ever lived. The Assyrians were. In the records of the Assyrian kings... They talk about how they would deal with their enemies. They would cut off their noses, cut off their ears. They would, um, they would behead their, um, their enemies, and they would stack uh, skulls up in pyramids in front of the city. And, and they weren't the only people who did that. I mean, you know, some people still do that today, astoundingly. But they talk about flaying people. They talk about skinning them alive and then putting their skin upon the wall as decoration, as sort of, look, you know, I, I conquered this person. And what many historians say is it was the Assyrians who invented crucifixion. Now, that might be true, but the Assyrian version of crucifixion was different than the Roman version. Um, the Romans, it, it's been said that the Assyrians invented crucifixion and the Romans perfected it. But what the Assyrians did is they would take a person and they would place them on a spike. They would just impale them on a spike and they would be left there in agony to die and then to be picked at by birds and just, you know, horrific stuff. And it's interesting because that's what is being alluded to here, the cruelty of the Ninevites. Everyone had felt in some way their endless cruelty. Now, as I said, there's a couple of there, there's a couple of good words in the midst of this, and and of course this again this was this was good news to Israel. As a matter of fact, there's um, the passage here that. Where did it go? It's a, it's a parallel passage to, you know, in Isaiah where it talks about how, how lovely are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim God's word. And there is a parallel to that right here. Look there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace, 
But look what it says. Celebrate your festivals, Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. So the good news is that Assyria is going to be forever destroyed. They will never again do the things that they have done. You know, it's hard to imagine, isn't it, living in a situation where you have a powerful nation, although we're seeing it right before ours right now. But isn't it hard to imagine just, you know, think about a nation that just suddenly decides, we want your property, we want everything that you have, we're gonna take you over and just rolling in and basically killing everybody that opposes them and then imprisoning or subjecting everybody else. This is the history of the world. This happened over and over and over and over in almost every single culture. This is the way life was lived. When that is your life, when news of defeat of that enemy comes, oh, that is the best news in the world. We're going to be free. We're not going to have to worry. We're not going to have to live in fear or dread any longer. So that's a good word of hope here. The good news they proclaim is peace, that this warring nation has been defeated. But then look at chapter one, just two places here in chapter one. Verse three, the Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. That's just a good reminder, isn't it? The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And then, verse 7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. So the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. That's such good news. That's such a great reminder. He cares for those who trust in him. So he cares for you. He cares for me. In the 119th Psalm, the psalmist is talking about, you know, that that 119th Psalm is is kind of a psalm of the word. It's dedicated basically to God's word. And the psalmist, David, writes the 119th Psalm. Did I say 18th? It's 19th. Um, Anyway, he's saying... He says things like, Lord, for those who put their hope in you, you, you help them. And he's, he's making this connection between the help of God and faith. For those who believe that you help them, for those that look to you to help them, For those that call upon you to help them, you help them. 
And that is something that we need to remember. God helps us. Like Psalm 46 says, he is a very present help in time of trouble. Sometimes all the odds are against us. Sometimes everything around us is just saying like, and, and of course, the devil and sometimes even people are like, well, why even bother to pray? Nothing's going to happen. God's not going to do anything. God never does anything. I mean, that's the voice of the devil. But sometimes we can even think that. But listen, God, he helps those who trust in him. He wants us to trust. He wants us to believe that he is a present help in time of trouble. He wants us to look to him. And so just that word there was to me a good word. The Lord is good and a refuge in times of trouble. So that's what you got to take home. He cares for those who trust in him. He's with you. Whatever it is that you're going through, he's with you. And even when you can't see, he, he can see. I mean, sometimes we can't see. We can't see the way ahead. But he knows the way forward. And he doesn't leave us to just sort of wander in the darkness and hope eventually that we find our way into the light. He takes our hand and he walks us through that darkness and he brings us out into the light. Just let him do it. Just trust him to do it. Do you ever have a time in your life where you just say, Lord, like um, the story with Jehoshaphat, you know, there, there's a point with Jehoshaphat, he just says, Lord, they're surrounded, the armies, they're outnumbered a thousand to one, crazy, massive military force against them. And Jehoshaphat says this, he says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Ever feel like that? Lord, we don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you. We're looking to you. And that's that active faith, that belief that God, no, God's watching over. God sees. He knows what's happening. He is with those who put their trust in him. The one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And so faith is to say, Lord, I believe that you are. Even though I can't see, even though it doesn't make sense, even though I can't see any way out of this, he will make a way. That's great news. Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and I've got a book that I want to offer to our listeners this month, and it's a book by Jared C. Wilson, and the book is entitled The Imperfect Disciple. 
And what a great book because all of us are that person. We are all really that imperfect disciple. But the subtitle is Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. And I think so often we sort of feel that way. But what we need to know is that God is for us, He's with us, and He's going to help us. And He has promised us grace so that we ultimately can get our act together. So I think this is going to be really encouraging. So we'd love to get a copy out to you. Just request it here from Back to Basics, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The Imperfect Disciple, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together by Jared C. Wilson. You can order the book The Imperfect Disciple by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Imperfect Disciple by Jared C. Wilson, to help you experience God's grace that has the power to transform anyone. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our series with the book of Habakkuk. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.